This is my tribe. 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 What's up? Welcome to the Tribe Night Messages podcast. Tribe Night is for students who are curious about faith and eager to discover how a relationship with Jesus could change their lives, their schools, and the heartland. For more information, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at cstone.students or text tribe to 94000. Hope you enjoy the message. Welcome back, tribe students, and this summer-long series called Start the Party. I want to do something a little neat tonight. Um, How many incoming sixth graders do we have in the room? Okay, awesome. Hey, I want to to say welcome to the party, and if you see an incoming sixth grader sitting next to you, reach over and give them a high five or a fist bump and let them know that they're welcome to tribe and we're excited that they're here because this is an exciting time and I'm excited what God is doing in the church and, and we just want to celebrate you guys as you uh, start this new chapter of your faith journey. So, um, like I said, welcome back guys. And as you remember, we're in this summer long series, um, this dub, Start the Party. And last week, Morgan did an amazing job on the bottom line. The party starter walks with people in their pain. And how true is that as Christ followers? Our job is to walk with people in their pain as Christ walks with us and ultimately accepted the pain of the cross uh, for the pains of my life and yours, whether it be my choices or the choices that other people have afflicted on us. And some of those slides from last week really touched my soul, and I hope it encouraged you in your journey um, as well. And remember, like one was we have to follow God's lead Um, Two was we have to show up and do no matter what. And three, notice those who are struggling. And and in this society that we live in today, it's so easy to notice the people that are struggling. And my prayer and hope is that I and we genuinely step into those areas of fear so others can see Christ in us. And this week, the bottom line is just as powerful as the previous one. Uh, And this one is called A Party Starter Knows... Part of winning is to help others win. And that's our slide up there. So let that resonate with you. And helping others win. And me and us take second place, or maybe third or fourth. And to take it in a, in a place where the world is telling us it's all about us. Uh, but that wasn't, wasn't the position of Jesus. Because in Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. So even Jesus had this disposition that his life was not about him. It was about doing the will of God. And he did it for his Father. And truly, I believe, like sometimes in the church, we can be confused about our role and our role in this world to help others win. And ultimately, the the goal of winning them to Christ. Because 
Honestly, I'm a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. And each day, as we read the scriptures, you'll see that truly many didn't grasp the hold of this concept of what Jesus was doing and what he did. But the, but the blessing is Jesus didn't give up on them. He didn't give up on us. And for instance, if you take Mary, Jesus' mother, in uh, John chapter 2, so Jesus is having this, there's this wedding celebration where Jesus turns water into wine. And uh, wine had run out. And Mary seemed to have more concern about the wine running out and the entertainment of the people than what Jesus was doing in the process of that. So she comes to Jesus and, and she says, uh, she says, the, the wine has run out. And, and I love Jesus' response. He kind of just looks at her and says, woman, what does your concerns have to do with me? My hour has not come yet. And that's such a bold statement, right? Woman. And I remember like when I'm in trouble as a kid, my mom would say, Rico, and, and sometimes she would call me by my middle name just to get my attention a little more. But Jesus wasn't doing this in a, in a sense to disrespect women or his mother, or he wasn't encouraging us to do the same thing. But what he was doing was trying to grab her attention and let him know the wine was less important than his purpose. And I love that again. Woman, pay attention. Because I remember as a kid growing up, um, we moved from Carbondale to the, to the prominent suburbs of Chicago. And as a 12 and 13-year-old, my friend group changed dramatically, like ethnically, socially, and financially. And, and I had friends that would talk back to their mothers like there was nobody's business. And, and the mothers were like pretty submissive to it. So that, that caught my eye and my attention. And, and I thought, hey, you know what? Maybe I could do that too. And, and I remember going home one day and my mom said, Rico, go and clean your room and take the trash out. And, and I, remember, I remember saying, woman, would you quit nagging so much? And, and I don't know about you, right? Like, my mom didn't say a word. She just gave me that stare that, that, that said more than words could ever, you could ever imagine, right? And it wasn't a kind stare. It was more like a death stare, right? And I tell you, that was the last time I ever called my mom woman again, right? But here, like Jesus is explaining to his mother something that she already knew, right? She was the, the mother of the savior of the world, right? So she already knew his purpose and, and here she was complaining about something meaningless and a thing in life that really didn't matter and had no concern to Jesus. And, and what he, Jesus is saying is, why seek after these things? Because his role at that party wasn't just for wine, but it was ultimately to win people to him and through the salvation of his good works. And even Mary knowing what, even as, and like Mary, I'm sorry, like Mary, knowing Jesus, we can be confused at this. And when we're confused, God says he can change that around, right? But in order to do that, we have to take an initiative. And as the slide from last week says, showing up like no matter what. So what does this look like? A party starter that knows part of winning is to help others win. So here in 1992, um, I was a teenager and probably the greatest era of professional sports, in my opinion, right? The Chicago Bulls were at the pinnacle of, like, NBA basketball. They had just won their 
first, or I'm sorry, their second NBA championship, and we were eagerly waiting for the one that would come in 93 against the Phoenix Suns, and, and it was just awesome. The city was ecstatic, and, and Michael Jordan was like the, I mean, he still is the GOAT. I'm, I'm just saying, if you LeBron James fans out there, sorry. But, so the Bulls were the best team in the NBA. The 1992 Dream Team was just assembled, the greatest professional basketball team ever, um, and they just completely do dominated and destroyed everything. And, and like I said, we were pretty hyped. And, uh, and it was just an amazing time in that, that, that era of, of professional sports. But I remember something happening in the summer of 1992 in the Olympics. And uh, I just want to show you guys this two-minute video because when we talk about helping others win, this is truly the pinnacle of what that looks like. So watch this two-minute video. Very quickly, and inside of Lewis, Sunday Bada, Nigeria. And Derek Redmond of Great Britain has pulled up with an injury. Redmond is out. Derek Redmond, the British record holder, and an important member of that British 4x400-meter relay team, as he doesn't want anybody to help him. It'll be Lewis to win in 44.50. Look at this. He's going to try to finish his semifinal race. The British have a certain tradition of running, which you have to respect. A bizarre finish to this first semifinal in the men's 400 meters. Derek Redmond of Great Britain pulled up with an injury halfway down the back stretch. He's fighting off those trying to help him to finish the race in his lane. And now the pain too much. Stadium as Redmond, with assistance this time, approaches the finish line he had wanted so desperately to reach. All right, so awesome. So, and hey, I want to apologize for that Instagram message that popped up. Part of my walk is like encouraging people on social media and helping them win too. So, when I see those cheesy videos and you know, other people may think it's cheesy, but sometimes I like to throw them a little fist bump and say, attaboy, and <laughs> sometimes those messages will come through anytime. But um, so like I was saying, Derek had these high hopes of winning the gold medal at the summer games in Barcelona. But prior to qualifying for the Olympics, Derek had five surgeries to repair some, uh, some injuries that he had prior to the Olympics uh, in 92. Derek tore his Achilles tendon. And part of the reason why he hobbled to the finish line was because of that. And his last try at the Olympics was in 1988. And it ended one hour before the race started because he tore his Achilles tendon again. 
1992 Barcelona games, um, Derek ran the 400 meter, you can saw, see in that video, and it started off well, and he notched the fastest time in the previous ra race and won the quarter, quarter finals heat. But in the semifinals, Derek charged out of the gate and he looked great through the first straightaway. And halfway through the mark, you can see in the video, he grimaced and, and grasped his right thigh and he tore his hamstring. And the cool thing is he didn't give up. He hobbled around the track, determined to finish, knowing this would be his last time competing in the Olympics, pushed through the pain and agony, and even at a slow pace, the crowd began to cheer. And as that image appeared of his father jumping out there and helping his son win, it was more than about a win, right? Jim ran out there and he waved off the security guards that tried to stop him, put his arm around Derek's waist, and Derek began to weep. He put his hand on his father's shoulder and they, they finished the race. And that day, I, even though he lost the race, he won more than what the race could offer him. Maybe not a gold medal, but to this day, the Olympic Committee calls this act the most inspirational moment in, the, in Olympic history. And I, I say rightly so. That's what it means to help others win. That's what it means to go and do no matter what the cost. That's what it means to do just one thing to help someone else win. And with that, here's this slide. Be a party starter. Being a party starter also requires a posture of generosity. So what does that look like? Because if you look around in the culture, in many cases we see that they are fairly generous. Right? I mean, people that don't believe in Christ, they do some pretty amazing things, right? They're generous, they have great attitudes. We see them all the time, non-believers. They build houses, they give to the poor, they volunteer in food banks, they give to the homeless. They volunteer in homeless shelters and even give their time and resources. But, but that's a spiritual attribute that everyone is hardwired with, whether you believe or not. But the reason non-believers are generous is because they desire the spotlight or recognition. The, the exact opposite of the church, of God's people. We don't seek the, seek the limelight. Our treasure is in heaven. We live to give honor to God. It's never about what we'll gain, what we'll lose, but what it's about gaining someone and helping them win. Because if the focus is on us, we have already lost. So this next slide kind of describes it all. Be careful about thinking that life is only about you. Because we are the party starters created to help others win. Help, help others win. Think about that briefly. What hinders us from helping others? Could it be our comfort zone hasn't been shaken? Or are we holding on something that God wants us to let go of so we can see the big, bigger picture in due time? And often it's not about the other person, but maybe it's something that God is trying to change with inside of us. Truly the tension we face is fear. The fear, if we step into those areas, we'll miss something. And I can tell you, like, I grew up in a, in, a, in a family that I missed a whole lot because I grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money 
And the money that they had, they didn't use it very well. So when I became a teenager, I became selfish and sharing and being generous. That wasn't in my vocabulary. If I saw generosity straight down the street, I'd make a U-turn just to avoid it or them. But as, as I matured in Christ, God started to develop some things in me. And he started to change my attitude. He started to put me in positions where I was making sums of money from like 250 to 350 for one hour's worth of work. And it was great. But at that moment in my life, I, I wasn't concerned about materials anymore. I, I was more concerned about helping people. So I became more generous. And it was letting go of fear, right? Because in order to develop an attitude of gratitude, I had to let go of fear. And sometimes God put me in hardships, financial, financially hardships, to, to shape me and mold us. And, and he's still doing the same thing to this day. Because I remember a time back, the Lord had had me quit this job. And when I quit the job, I, I found myself in a position where I had to balance and maintain a household, a, a daughter, and, and finances all in one. And, and I remember being at the doctor's office and how the Lord was starting to shape me. I went to the dentist office, and as I was waiting to leave the place, I remember there was a lady there, and she could hardly speak English. And, and as I was walking out, I remember the Holy Spirit saying, hey, give her that $10 that you have in your pocket. And, and I thought about it, and I said no. And I just kept walking out. And as I got to the parking lot, the Lord said, go back and give her the money. And, and rightly so, I did. I went back, and, and I was fearful because I didn't want the lady to think I was nuts. But I went anyway, and I went inside, and I said, you know, the Holy Spirit told me to give you this money. And she kept saying, no, 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 no. And, and I said, but, but God told me to give you this money, so I think you should take it. And she said, no, and she was holding this little baby, and I felt so embarrassed because I thought she thought I was crazy. And, uh, and I thought she was crazy, but it was really me because I was not being obedient. But what the Lord was showing me as I walked out of there and I stood in the parking lot and I said, Lord, you told me to give her the money and I expected she would take it and she did it. And now I look crazy because she thinks I'm trying to buy her a kid or her. So now I look like a fool in front of her and those people in the office. And, and the Lord kindly spoke to me and said, you know, I just told you to give her the money. I didn't say she was going to take it. And what I'm trying to get you to do is let go of it. So when we talk about a spirit of generosity, sometimes God is not just working on that person, but he's working on us as well. You know, some of the things we try to let go of, or we want to hold on to God is, trying to, is calling us to let go of. So when tension and fear stops us from moving forward, we'll miss the point. And I truly missed the point until God showed me later on. And maybe that's the thing God is saying to you. Or how is he using us? So this next slide... Again, says it all. Our greatest struggle is to become more generous is fear. What is it we fear? The fear of what I'll, what I'll gain from it? The fear of who will get the credit? Or maybe if you like me in my early walk with Christ, I thought, what would my friends or family think? What, what would they think of this new walk and this new posture that I have in Christ? And like Mary in, in the parable of John chapter 2, she, we should ask ourselves this very thing, same thing because she kind of missed the point too. What does it say? What if we are missing it? What if? Because this week we're going to look at this familiar story in Luke 12, but we'll focus on one verse. And here's the slide. 
Here's Jesus says, then he, Jesus said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. See, I love, I love Jesus' disposition, right? He refuses to get into civil disputes, but uses every occasion to teach about covetousness. And the story deals with this family dispute on property distribution between two brothers. And I, I would say possibly after a family member passed and they left some possessions for these two brothers to divide and, and they were kind of fighting over who gets the bigger portion and um, Jesus steps in there not to address who gets the bigger portion but to, to settle the matter and to have us take a look at the hearts of these two people and how it relates to us. And one brother seems to want to share right now and, and in all cases Jesus knows our hearts. And in this case, I'm pretty sure that Jesus knew that it was more about what the brother could get and how he was going to use those resources to become, versus how he was going to use those resources to become more generous and help others win. And if we're honest, most of us can be like that too. I know I can. But Jesus tells us to beware and guard. And the word beware is, is in Greek is called philoso, meaning to watch or be aware, which translates into the English term, beware. Otherwise, we become slaves to believing that our lives are about possessions, right? And like the brother in this parable, Jesus knew that his goal was to build bigger houses, to store all his possessions, believe that his soul was well because he was taken care of by money, by this illusion of money, and, and his plan was to sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus reminded him that his life was, was about to pass. And his soul would be all there is. And the possessions, they wouldn't be any concern. Because Jesus wasn't concerned about the abundance of one's possessions. Because remember, Jesus had the same concern about that wine as he does about us securing this illusion, illusional bag for tomorrow. So that's something we have to be truly mindful of. And again, this slide, as we go back to it, be careful about thinking that your life is only about you. And you can find the same principles throughout the Bible dealing with, with money, generosity, possessions. They all have the same thing. Don't covet things, but to use what you've, what you've been blessed with to bless others. And what Paul says in, in 2 Timothy, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to all those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as, good, as a good foundation for the future so that they, they may experience true life. Think about that. Storing up their treasures to experience true life. So what Jesus is saying, you know, true life isn't found again in possessions, but true life is found in, in storing up treasures eternal treasures for the hope of our salvation. An abundant life is found when we adopt the attitude of being generous. That's what it means to be a party starter. And often we can live life and adopt the attitude that Jesus came to give us this world's good. But we truly have to take a look at his life and look at this savior who slipped into this world and had nowhere to lay his head. That's called humility. So what do we do? 
about this slide. Look for ways to help someone win. I truly love that video of Derek and his father. Like, that is the perfect picture of helping someone else win. Through their pain, through their suffering, through their hardship, helping someone else win. Because the need is great. And if you have a tough time finding someone, you can probably look around this room, look around your neighborhood, maybe your school. How about this next slide? Do just one thing to help someone else win. One thing. And it doesn't have to be astronomical. It could be a small thing. Smile at someone. Wave. Ask them how their day is doing. Because we don't necessarily have to open up the Bible and preach a sermon to someone to be generous. We can start with a smile. Because that breaks down walls. Or how about this last one? Cheer someone on. And I know that's hard. Because sometimes it can... It's so easy to become the negative against our opponents. But I encourage you, like, celebrate everyone. One of the greatest joys is to see someone smile when you recognize them, when you acknowledge them when they walk into the room, when you cheer them on, when you show up at their game and you root them on when they're down by 20 points. Celebrate them anyway. Because remember, a party starter knows that part of winning is helping someone else win. So this last slide really says it all. And as we step into small groups, that's something we can discuss. What's one thing you have to give someone else? Can I pray for you guys? God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to share your truth and your hope with these students that are coming to know you on a much deeper level. And God, I just pray that uh, your words will resonate with our hearts, that we walk out of here changed, and we take that next step and consider what's one thing we have to give someone else. There's truly many things, but let us focus on that one thing first. So Lord, as we worship you, let our hearts be open, let our ears be, be receiving, and let our eyes be watching the good things you have in store for us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Everybody say, amen. amen.